Welcome to the future of music. My name is Jake Abel, and I started this podcast as a passionate music fan interested in how technological developments like Web3 and AI will disrupt and continue to affect the music industry. Each week, I talk with artists, entrepreneurs, and music professionals about all things music and tech. So whether you're a musician, industry professional, music or tech enthusiast, or just have a curious mind, I'm hoping this podcast can become a resource for you to learn from me and the incredible guests I have on, and to prepare yourself for the future of music. This podcast is released in collaboration with Float, an experimental label, media company, and music platform I've been working with that helps artists create music and release it as digital assets. Check out the links in the show notes to find us on social media, see what we're up to, and discover some incredibly talented independent artists. In the spirit of technological development, I've started using an AI voice generator to create my intros and outros. This episode is a conversation with Sherry Hu, the founder of Water and Music, a music and tech research organization. Over the last couple of years, along with their numerous other weekly and monthly articles and newsletters, they've been putting out massive collaborative research projects on the most exciting developments in music and technology, including Web3, the metaverse, and AI. I bought a lifetime membership pass to Water and Music about 10 months ago and have learned so much and gained so much insight from the articles and research projects they've put out since then. I'm also a huge fan of their Wavelengths event series, which focuses on participative group discussions around a variety of music and technology related topics. I've attended three of these events, one of which I helped organize in DC, and I will also be attending their first Wavelength Summit in Brooklyn on Saturday, May 6th. The summit is an extension and expansion of the Wavelength event series, and the goal is to provide a forum for the next generation of music tech leaders, creators, and innovators to build community and exchange ideas on the future of the music business. The event will feature interactive roundtables, workshops, and debates that showcase the diverse experience and ingenuity of their community members across themes of emerging tech, fandom and community building, and industry bridges like streaming and music rights. The link for more details and tickets is in the show notes. Anyway, this conversation was incredibly insightful, and we took a deep dive into Web3, AI, the metaverse, and the future of music creation, consumption, and the industry at large. I'm sure you'll learn something new from today's episode. Here is Sherry Fu. I know you guys have a lot going on right now with the wave, the Wavelength Summit I'm excited for. Um, mm-hmm. How yeah. do you have like a bunch, like all the programming set up and speakers and everything? Hopefully that'll all be set up in the next two weeks are finalized we have we're just um finalizing like who's going to take part in like the bigger round tables so we have mm-hmm. like main stage round tables so finalizing those um and then yeah so hopefully there'll be like official promo going out about that uh starting in a few weeks yeah all right cool all right well let's jump into it i mean i mm-hmm. i have been a water and music fan for a while and and i bought i think it was season 1.5 i bought the lifetime nft um so you know i'm pretty tapped in but for for people who maybe don't know as much about water music and about you let's let's talk about how uh your background and then how you got into starting water music totally yeah so so water music in my head has lived three at least three different lives so i can walk through like each of those lives which also maps to um I guess, different stages of my career and just like the role I saw myself playing in the industry. So my professional background is primarily in writing and reporting about the music business. So I got started um, writing as a freelancer for a lot of business and trade publications like Forbes and Billboard. 
um, focusing on music and tech. And growing up, I uh, was both a huge music fan and played a lot of music, uh, classically trained in piano, um, but I was also um, really into math and stats and like interested in like following the latest tech and and trying to think about how um, to apply, especially like data-driven analysis or thinking pretty early on to music, to solving issues um, for the music industry. So um, yeah, I, so I thought I was actually gonna work in, in the music industry in like a data-facing role, but very randomly got this opportunity to write, to cover that topic for publications. Um, and instantly, like when I started, fell in love with writing as a way to break down just how um, complicated, uh, very often frustrating, but also like very often exciting the music industry is in like all like various ways. So I've stuck with writing for my whole career um, for the last eight years. So started out freelance writing, and then Water and Music started just as a newsletter on the side for me to aggregate all my freelance writing. Like if you saw my name online and you wanted to just like have a direct line to me, keep up to date with my work, this is a place where you subscribed. But it was totally free. Um, it was a very free form, um, like sandbox of ideas. Like I, I use a newsletter to talk about a lot of ideas that were more like fringe or cutting edge, or, or at least at the time wouldn't necessarily fit neatly within like one of the bigger publications I was writing for. So like, for example, um, I, I was very fascinated early on with the concept of digital scarcity. Like, what does that even mean? What does that look like? Cause it's kind of like the opposite of what we've come to be familiar with, with streaming and just like the way music is consumed today. So. Yeah, so I, I would use this like totally free newsletter to write about those uh, more fringe or very often like abstract ideas, but try to ground it in like specific music tech case studies. And that got its own kind of niche following, um, a really good community built around people who were were interested in, in like digging more in depth into the impact that technology would have on the music industry and then by extension on, on culture. At large, with with how music, it's kind of like built. Like, how are you interacting with the people who were subscribing to the newsletter? Uh various ways. I would say the the top channels were Twitter, of course, for uh -huh. for like media for the music industry, and then a lot of um a lot of in person conferences. So, as part of my um, role early on, I, I and throughout my whole career, I've, I've been asked to moderate. Um, a bunch of panels or conversations just having like that high level deal was happening in the industry. Um, but I also think the like, universal shared experience for like people in the industry who like go to these events is that a lot of the most interesting conversations are not in the programming. Um, they're in like the side conversations totally, that you have yeah. with like, I, yeah, yeah, just like meeting. It's all about, you know, yeah, making those connections. And so I met a lot of really, um, really cool and like like-minded people early on at these events who had a very similar mindset and perspective on the industry. Um, and then when I like, and then when I left the event and tried to find a similar space online to have those conversations, I just, I just couldn't find any. Um, maybe I wasn't looking in like the right places, but that like water music was definitely born out of that like very personal need. Like I was just super interested in keeping up to date with this stuff and, and but wanted to seek out that community. So I just started building it myself um so yeah and, and then the community grew to a point where in 2019 um 
uh, they were around like 5,000 subscribers or so to the free newsletter. And I was like uh, thinking, oh, it could be interesting to build some kind of paid experience just like as an experiment. Um, was not planning on um, working on it full time at all, but timing played a huge role because um, uh, I guess around a year into um, doing that membership, uh, the COVID pandemic first like hit the world stage um and the music industry was just like uh like catapulted into this position of like digital strategy being like the only thing they had going for them so like in, in contrast to like thinking about an artist's career and like how streaming would feed into touring and would feed into um like kind of physical goods and kind of like leading more into those sales like uh just the pandemic just just forced everyone to like really reckon with um, digital music economics and also realize just how uh, lopsided it was for most artists. Like, you know, if you're just trying to make money just from streaming or um, uh, like just from online music sources, it's like really, really difficult. So that just like triggered. And so, and, and um, so that, that drew a lot more people to um, just like learn more about tech in general. And so that like led to like a whole new era for water and music in terms of growth or people were interested in um, like things that things that have been around for a long time, but were accelerating a lot that year. So like music and gaming, like huge, huge surge in interest mm -hmm. that year, music and live streaming. Um, I think the pandemic played a huge role in Web3, of course, like coming more to the forefront across the board, but especially for artists who were like looking for alternative models uh, outside of streaming. Um, so uh, yeah, so the, the, so uh, there's a ton of growth that happened for modern music over that period. And then um, kind of like last phase, and then I will stop for the time being, is um, uh, around like 2021. Um, so like still like mid-2021, it was still mostly myself and like some guest writers around me, um, but still mostly myself running water music. It was very much just like a solo newsletter endeavor. But the more I dug especially into, into topics like Web3, where there's just such a long tail of activity happening, like even to this day, it's still very much uh, run by independent artists, I think, in, in, in terms of like the case studies and most interesting models on Web3 that are coming up. Um, I, I really wanted to figure out some way to like have media and research on this landscape be a lot more collaborative and crowdsourced and like genuinely ref um, reflect the long tail of just like super interesting activity that was happening in the landscape and then have some model to like uh, collectively cover what's happening in this very emergent landscape and then also like properly credit and reward people who like kind of contributed to that project. So that got me looking a lot more into like collaborative and crowdsourced media models and kind of ways to innovate on that. Um, and that brings us to the current era of water music, which is uh, a now much larger community and network of uh, regular research contributors, industry professionals who are contributing to like conversations and large scale research projects, still focused on music and tech, but um, the like the methodologies have also expanded quite dramatically. So we've done um, like collaborative databases on Music Web three projects. We've done surveys, um, interview series that are like community curated. Um, so yeah, it's become a much bigger collective project. We have um, 
thanks to going to the C Club Accelerator, we have like a hybrid Web2, Web3 uh, kind of strategy and approach to compensating the community uh, through our research. Um, and yeah, excited for everything else to come. Can you talk a little bit about that hybrid strategy? Like I know there's a, some tokenomics involved with like collaborative researchers contributing to these broader projects. Um, mm -hmm. what, what's the hybrid approach there? Yeah, so um, unlike other uh, DAOs or tokenized communities, actually, before our... we, let's before maybe before we get into that, can you talk about the decision to like start to organize order music as a DAO structure and then get into mm -hmm, tokenomics mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and collaborative research? Yes. So, uh, I guess the the what ultimately led to the decision to. Um, structure at least part of the organization as a DAO was just was just looking into um, just like models for collaborative and crowdsourced media projects. Um, and importantly, just to uh, like honor history, the, the concept is not new, like everyone from like investigative publications, like ProPublica on more of kind of the political reporting side to um, research organizations like NASA have done like math, mass scale, like crowdsourced projects, um, incorporating data from hundreds, in many cases, thousands of contributors. So there's a lot of like, like studying that and how that could apply to um, something like understanding music and culture, especially um, given, yeah, just how distributed those industries are now and how fast moving they are. Um, but I wasn't just interested in, in mechanics for like gathering that data. I was also interested in, um, how, how it would actually work uh, in terms of infrastructure to like present media as like the result of a truly collaborative effort and like uh, properly credit and reward uh, like like people who of course like with their with their permission who like uh, contributed to and got involved in a project. Um, yeah, just talking this about the, the print. Just talking about the principles there. It's like, oh yeah, that's how a DAO works. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so I. Um, kept going back to to DAOs and to tokens as um as a way of uh acting on that and and importantly um there there are ways to credit and reward crowdsource contributions that don't involve web3 i just think also our vision that we have for um making information more open and accessible um and making like also, just uh, this is a really interesting part of DAOs in general, like making one's um, reputation more open and accessible. So, like not having your reputation or like history of contributions just like locked in one centralized platform, but having that be able to like travel with you across communities. I think that's like that idea in general is super compelling to us, especially thinking about like collaborations with other research or, uh, research orgs. So, I um, yeah, I. I, I became increasingly convinced by by tokens as um at least to start like the the contribution uh and like reward layer for um like contributing to our large scale research projects um and yeah and a lot of this was honed through going through the C Club accelerator which we did we were part of their third cohort in fall 2021 and then I just coming out of that shout out to that core cohort cuz i think it's cool that you were part of that refraction was part of that Oh yeah, the refraction episode is coming out later this week, nice uh, or or next week. Uh, and float, who I'm working with now all the time, yeah, part of that cohort. So 
pretty stacked yep. music web three <laughs> cohort right there and just like culture like shout out to other groups like um cross house they're part of our crew and they have huge ambitions to uh like own a basketball team as a DAO, which is like it's just super cool to follow yeah just everyone's journey since since then um uh but yeah so 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 through that uh kind of hone our token framework and then we came out with our first collaborative um report on music and web3 in um december 2021 and that kind of kicked off our journey to um to the present day and then i guess to, to dive specifically into um how exactly those seasons work so so our flagship output now as a as a community are what we call season reports or sprints so um what what deems something worthy of a season type um treatment in our view is is a topic that is uh in, in music and tech that's both um highly urgent in our view like it's important for to like dig into this now and also highly noisy or misunderstood like there's a ton of information sorry a ton of misinformation or just like confusion about like what we're actually talking about um web3 fits those i think those two categories very well we've done um one on the metaverse which is like in its own kind of existential crisis like uh you know like where where's meta going where's uh, let alone the cost of the metaverse in general yeah, we'll and then we, um, yeah, yes, <laughs> I'm sure. And then we uh, just released our latest report on uh, creative AI for music, oh, which yeah. is like I'm urgent through. in its own unique way. Yeah, I, nice, I, nice, nice, nice. <laughs> I read, I read the first two, so I think like this the landscape of tooling and stuff, and then like general sentiment. So I haven't read the third and fourth articles. Well, but... well, thank you, thank you for yeah, it yeah definitely it's, is a lot I, of. I, I learned so much from you guys. It's awesome. I love it. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so how those um, the, the the normal process just to quickly walk through is um, uh, so so normally like we we collectively like decide uh, just, like consensus like okay this, this like Web three is the thing to cover now as we did like kind of for our first report or like AI is the thing to cover now, and then we have a week long community brainstorming session um, where people in our community just like dump their thoughts or questions or concerns about the topic. And then our core team and some of the research team um, then like synthesizes those questions and organizes them into like usually four to five different research threads. So how many people are on the core team? Right now, including myself, there are six people. Um, so it's myself, uh, community manager slash lead, Kat, uh, tech lead, Alex, events slash education lead, Diana, um, Brody, who's leading um, governance, and then um, Lenny, aka Young Spielberg, who's leading the kind of collab research side. So kind of, yeah, very wide range of uh, functions. And then and then around that, we have a more fluid um, community of uh, at any given time, like 15 to 20 like research contributors who are like contributing to active projects. Um, and yeah, so yeah, so our, our core team will kind of like synthesize those questions, break things into threads, have a project lead assigned to each thread, and then over the course of usually eight to 12 weeks, just like hit the ground running and just try to gather information. Um, and then where tokens come in is that throughout that process, we track contributions internally. Um, usually it, it starts out tracking by task or by role, but um, usually there's some like additional nuance, like, oh, this one person 
was in this role, but actually went like above and beyond and like, uh, you know, like really helped bring the whole project together and they usually get some extra points. Um, so it's like an internal point system. And then we map that to stream, which is our token and then do like a big airdrop. Um, oh, and then uh, another uh, very critical element in terms of incentives is that um, we have historically sold NFTs tied to our seasons as a way to like retroactively uh, support and fund our research and all credited contributors get a share of um, that revenue. So, so there's an incentive also to um, like help you know spread the word about the, the research to more people and, and just like bring more people into the community as well. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I definitely do a That's lot of done. that as just a member. I'm like, if you want to learn, like go to Water Music, that's the spot. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, have you guys started thinking about next season at all? What's the next topic? Yes, um, definitely have thought a lot about it. As of recording, have, we have nothing finalized, but I can definitely share um, like my thoughts on, on how we might approach it. So we're now almost a year and a half into like our DAO era or like collab research era, um, which is like not that much time at all. In your but DAO in era. DAO, DAO. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think we'll 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 stay in this era for and we'll stay in this era for for a while, hopefully, which is great. Um, but yeah, so we're we're a year and a half into our DAO era which is like not that much time, but in the span of like emerging tech, it actually is quite a lot of time. I mean, it just keeps getting faster. Like keeps accelerating. Yeah. Like new, um, yeah. AI this year has been like the biggest example. It's just going like, crazy. It just, I keep seeing, so, like I just saw a video up. yesterday that now chat GPT has like plugins for different. Yeah. So you apps. can plug into like Zapier, you can like, do like crazy math stuff now with like Wolfram Alpha. Yeah, it's it's like startups everywhere in shambles just because of like chat Uh Yes. Um, but so, yeah, so it's it's accelerating, but we now also have like a year and a half of like very in-depth research information and, and insights under our belt that I would love to revisit. So for example, um, season one, uh, well, our first two season reports were Web3 related. Um, and they all covered in some way um, Web3 and music rights, what kind of like the legal side, um, fan onboarding and platform onboarding strategies. So like, how do you, like strategies for driving adoption, um, just like new uh, creative formats around Web3, like generative art, uh, PFPs, those kinds of things. Um, so I'd love to build on top of that and um, like do like, like almost like season one, um Part revisited yeah yeah, um, yeah 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 so like so we oh we, we ran like a um we ran surveys on fan and industry sentiment on web3 and i would be right. so curious to see like the results running it now like yeah. kind of a like a year and a half into like the hype like how people feel about the technology um we 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 published a pretty in-depth market map of music web3 tools that definitely needs updating now like a year, a year and a half later so would love to update that so yeah it's kind of how, how i'm thinking about the next season like mm -hmm. um now that we're like a year and a half later we can kind of revisit um uh te technologies we've already covered through a season 
um, but just at like a, a larger scale. And now we have like some process where we can get better and like more statistically significant results, especially around surveys or gathering like data on music web three projects. So uh, yeah. And then, and then in general, uh, this is not like topic specific, but um, something that we uh, can always do better and, and, and is on my mind a lot this year is not, not just publishing like long research reports, but helping make that information as actionable and usable as possible for like a music industry and an artist and founder audience. So we um, we're trying to do a lot more with like paid courses or like hands-on workshops or demos. And those have been super popular within our community so far. So I think we're planning on doing a lot more of those like kind of hands-on events. Um, uh, sorry, and workshops around our research as well. Yeah, that's cool. I, I tuned into some of the Zooms last summer that were like music industry professionals on like a bunch of different topics. So yeah, that stuff was definitely super helpful and a cool uh, membership utility, I think. Um, how, how do you think, like you mentioned, going back and seeing how sentiment has changed without diving into, you know, doing research. How do you personally think it has changed over the last few years? Web3 sentiment, you're asking. Specifically. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it's changed a lot. Uh, for one, uh, as, okay, so uh, being a bit biased as like a writer and editor now, primarily, I, I'm always so fascinated by like rhetoric and, and language and the language that people use to describe the work that they're doing. And definitely um, uh, a now, now very concrete trend in 2023 I'm seeing is that people are um, actively removing the words NFTs and DAOs from any of their like Web3 related marketing copy. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not everybody, but for um like uh for a lot of the larger platforms especially that have ambitions to reach wider fan bases. Um uh shout out to like some platforms who've like actively talked about this, like Medallion, um mm -hmm. trying to build like fan communities around Love Web3. Medallion. Really want to get yep. them on here. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, um, I'm actually I'm actually in the all things go office right now. Oh, is nice a music festival in the DMV, like an indie music festival. And yeah. one of the partners of All Things Go, who is uh is one of the partners of Medallion. Oh, amazing. There so we go. I actually I have I've actually met like everyone from the Medallion team except for him, which is funny because I just have all these mutual connections. But <laughs> nice. Um, would love to get them on the podcast at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Medallion, um another very very different platform royal has like done similar like you mm -hmm. won't find the word nft on their site um I mean, unless you like sense, scroll all the right? way down like, people, people yeah people don't talk about like on Bandcamp. you're not like downloading mp3s like yes. people don't talk about like what technology they're using to download music and or stream music or yeah. like and then companies don't talk about like we're c corp or we're an llc totally like, totally no, like, and you, this don't, is, you yes. just don't talk about that as a company it's not important it's like yes. back-end in technology that is facilitating everything that you're doing as a brand and a company is like that's all it is is the back-end technology it's not like that doesn't need to be what you're pushing out right and i think mm -hmm. as web3 sort of developed people i guess just i guess just like got 
really into the tech because it was so emergent and like so prevalent that like we are building a new system using this technology but now it's I guess sort of dying down people are like we're just building cool projects and music and like you know on the back end this happens to be what is facilitating yeah or like not not just that but if if you are in the position of trying to build a startup like actually building a tool using web3 it's like um classic uh uh i told i totally forgot i totally forgot the original um quote but like the general marketing maxim is like don't sell the what sell the why mm-hmm. like sell like why um uh like sell like where this person or like your user will go and like the experience they'll have when they use your product and not just like the product itself so i'm, I'm noticing a lot of people just like try to find that fit for web3 tools like yeah like you're not the, the value in the current market especially is not gonna be in the fact that you own nft like that's only really going to be valuable to like very very small group of people now um it's more like what what unique kinds of experiences or like uh or like products can you build that uniquely take advantage of like web3 and blockchain data and like how do you tell that story so a lot of people are trying to like nail the narrative um uh in the hopes of like getting more people on board uh, in terms of adoption and yeah like great great framing for like doubt yeah people are not gonna like promote that they're like a c-corp and i think i think with like DAOs specifically um I, I and i completely understand why this was the case in like 2021 2022 like the the product was the vibe i think for like a lot of these DAOs, like you you buy the token and the token like increases in value just because of like the very ephemeral, like cool vibe factor around yeah. it. Um, like obviously like, fun. like, yeah, like people are fickle, culture is fickle. The market can like often be fickle and just like that is like, people are, are collectively agreeing out of it. Like that is not a strategy. <laughs> like you need an actual, something that's like a lot more sustainable and like the vibes can like, keep people around they're, 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 it's critical of course but like that's not the core product so mm-hmm. so yeah i think a lot of a lot of communities are, are are figuring that out and and ironically learning a lot from like non-web3 native companies and like how to actually make that work because like yeah like the, the the concept of like narrative storytelling um building good fan experiences marketing like that th- those are issues that have been around for for centuries um, so it's like, how, how do we combine what's worked in like the past with things that, that are unique to Web3 and like that actually make, um, like shed light on this like incredibly complicated technology and like actually put it to good use. Um, so yeah, I think that's where. What are some of the more interesting and exciting projects and people and companies you've looked into that are doing that? Um, on the Web3 side, so... Okay, I'm going to give two very different examples on like complete opposite ends of the spectrum, Cool, but maybe not. So one is uh, on the like DIY collective spectrum. Um, I am a huge fan of everything that Song Camp has done because um, I think that they are, um, I think they, at, at, at every step of the way, they're not just making like cool music, which is like, if you're like a music collective in Web3, that's like 
always critical. Like, are you just making cool art? They're making very cool art, but they're also using very like Web3 native ways to um, distribute uh, revenue, like uh, among all the people who are contributing to the group um, to signal on chain, you know, your contributions, kind of going back to the role that Web3 plays in that layer. And then um, also even with like with their latest chaos project um, and how, how they lead into like pack mechanics. So like in, in, in case mm-hmm. people who um, are listening don't know, they so Song Camp, I think, recorded 80 different songs for like their latest chaos project. Um, it had eight, but then seven artists involved. 77 artists involved. Um, a, a, a ton of non-artists also, like a lot of right. people who like were developers, storytellers. Um, but as a consumer or as a fan, you could only buy a pack that had a randomized set of like five or so songs. I think it was, I think it was five songs. Um, and then like the pack was an NFT, but there's a mechanic where you could open the pack um, and reveal which the pack would disappear, but it would reveal like these five songs that you'd have. And like, it was just really, really cool. And like genuinely interesting, like like trading mechanics that happened, like people who like wanted to collect all the songs um, and were in the Discord server to try to like trade, but like, out of out of wanting to collect all of the music and not just like getting their bag, so it was, it was a really interesting like re- really interesting combination of just like web three native mechanics and how that can apply to like a music community. So that's one example. Um, on the complete opposite example, uh, sorry, the complete opposite side of the spectrum, um, I'm I'm fascinated by like big brands like Starbucks going into web three, and that, that's like an area that I'm following very very closely. So like I think Starbucks they have, I think they they partnered with Polygon to launch like a new kind of loyalty program called Odyssey. Um, Polygon specifically is has been partnering with like tons of different brands like Reddit and Nike to like launch Web three loyalty programs. Um, and there I think the benefit of Web3 is like, it's it's in a very different industry, but similar to issues that the music industry has. Like the advertising industry is just rife with lack of transparency and like so many intermediaries kind of in the middle and like, like data brokers sitting in the middle of just trying to understand like who clicked on what and like what journey they took to, to get to like buying a certain product or just being interested in following a certain brand. Um, so I think I think a lot of bigger companies see a more like B two B value in Web three to just like cut through that noise and get a lot more transparency on um, just like what just how yeah how customers are like behaving online and like uh, and also I, I haven't looked too much into the specific mechanics but like if if it, if like Starbucks loyalty activity for example is like recorded on chain such that it could be accessible by like other brands I'm, yeah i'm not even sure like legally how that would work but um just the fact that like that kind of loyalty and like community allegiance is like stored on a blockchain and like uh, this more like more distributed way i think could have really interesting implications for just how any brand or, or media company is built it's, it's, it's definitely something we're thinking about with with modern music on a much smaller scale, but like now we have several hundred people who um, hold our stream token and um, those people have gotten on like allow lists for other mints, for example. And so like by being part of the on-chain network for water music, 
they've indirectly unlocked access to like all these other community experiences. And, and it's and it's very easy to to use Web3 tools to set that up. Um, whereas if we just use kind of like Web2 means that it would just felt a lot clumpier. So so we, we definitely benefited from those like network mechanics of just being able to see who's part of what communities and build like more unified cross community experiences or access points um, off yes, of that data. hundred so. percent. That is a huge benefit that I've been preaching recently is that specific use case of composability where on chain you can see what your community members are supporting outside of your community. Because mm -hmm. it just mm -hmm. creates so many opportunities for collaboration that, you know, you can't get on like Patreon, for example. Like you can't see what your subscribers are subscribing to. Mm -hmm. Like, so like, yeah, like if Water and Music was theoretically just on Patreon and you have thousands of subscribers, you couldn't see if they were also subscribing to like this newsletter that's doing this really cool thing. But if it's yeah. on chain, you can, and you can be like, you know, let's collaborate. And then it just benefit. It benefits everyone really like the users are excited to see that. And then both communities can hopefully, you know, cross pollinate a little bit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah cool. that's exciting. Um, going back to like big companies and web three, how, how do you think like, at least in music, like, how do you see, have you seen any major players getting involved or honestly, actually not even just Web3, just like developing technology in general, like, have you seen, or what do you think is going to happen with like major labels or Ticketmaster Live Nation, Spotify? Like, have you seen any interesting things that they're doing or, or stuff that you think is going to happen in the future? Like, I feel like they have to adopt it in some way, but. Uh, yeah, there's, um, there, uh, I can definitely say there are very, very smart people within and very smart teams within all those different companies who are like very, very strongly pushing for faster adoption of emerging tech across the board. Because I think like the, the phrase that keeps coming up in those circles is like wanting to avoid another Napster moment where mm -hmm. like uh, the, you know, the major company stance is just like litigating against like people who are like super into this technology as opposed to just like adapting their business model to it. Um, in terms of the, the challenge, of course, is like, um, it's like turning around a cruise ship. It's like gonna be very, very slow. Right. It's not just a matter of like <laughs> completely analogy. like the, yeah. So like the, the default stance, especially for major labels and ticketing companies is just uh, like minimizing risk as much as possible. I think it's like just a default mindset. And so um, I, yeah, I, I see this, especially with like um, AI tools, which is, uh, which present a very existential like risk I think, to, to anyone who owns any catalog, especially like these larger labels uh, whose catalogs in any other situation are like, like uh, super valuable and monetizable. So, um, but th th there's a lot of like, uh, like waiting and seeing or kind of getting involved more indirectly. So, so like every major label at this point has invest, has invested money in um, an AI startup. So universal music has invested in um, a few actually, or one called soundful uh, Warner music has invested in boomy, which is um, a definitely a fast growing music AI tool. And then Sony music, 
like on, as part of Sony Corporation, they have access to and are partnering with um, like an AI research lab within Sony, which is like working with Sony music artists to prototype their own tools. So every major label now, now has a connection. And I, it's, I would say it's the same, same with Web3, but the approach is very different. Like it's, it's, it's very easy to find a major label backed Web3 project. It's very difficult to find like a cohesive strategy where like, you know, um, like, oh, this this label is investing in Web3 for this reason and this is their stance. Um, for example, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we, we really won't know until it, it's, um, we really won't know until this is fully released, but everyone's looking at like the Kingship uh, project from Universal where they like signed a bunch of board apes uh, to form like a fictional like supergroup, like gorillas type. Um, and they, uh-huh. I wasn't aware of but that. they haven't released any music. No one knows what the music actually is going to sound like, um, but they've done uh, a drop with M&Ms. They have like a brand partnership. <laughs> so it's like, so it's, it's those. So, and, and like, funny. yeah. And so Board again, like M&M. we'll see like, the, yeah, like the music could be incredible, but like, this is an example of a project I'm looking at within Universal, like the specific area of Universal where I'm like not sure what the long game is. Like it's, it isn't clear like what role they see Web3 playing um, mm. at like a strategic level. In contrast, um, so this is not the major label level, something that I actually learned at South by or like have kind of like confirmed just in talking with various people are that um, um, indie distributors are making like a very concerted push into Web3 now so like i think the orchard just hired like a web3 services person in-house um uh believe which is a they own two core they have a web3 services person um and and that angle is especially interesting to me it in both directions so from like the web3 artist to web2 side like i think a huge challenge a lot of web3 native artists have now is like a challenge that every artist has which is marketing like how do I, how do I reach new fans? How do I, um, um, how do I grow my audience? And like that's not a web three native issue, and it's something that distributors like at least have some experience trying to help artists navigate. So it totally makes sense to like have them as a bridge. Um, and then also a lot of like indie artists who are like own more of their rights are able to experiment more in a more flexible way with web three. So it totally makes sense that um, in terms of like not having to go through like a ton of red tape to even get you know permission to release a song as an nft for example so so yeah th- like that that uh, on the at least on the surface makes more sense to me is like okay web3 is playing um a strategic role in this organization for this reason versus um i think at the major label level i think uh i think because philosophically there's so much tension between like the web, what the web three native people are aiming for and like where major labels sit, it's a lot of just like one-off projects mm-hmm. and like people just try to figure out what works, which like it's, yeah, yeah it's definitely say, a time and place for Sort of them, like everyone, but... right? They kind of just want exposure at the start and are messing around a little bit and yeah. trying to learn. And... It'll get you the Rolling Stone headline uh, of like sure. big group launches NFT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it is very much like marketing and PR as much as like a tech investment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
are there any are there any technologies that you've seen being developed that like people aren't talking about as much that you think are going to get bigger? Like I, I ooh okay, this is a time so like, to bring when back I, when I yes, think go. of like the big technological developments that are going to affect the music industry a lot. It's Web three AI and then like VR AI VR AR and the metaverse. Like that's what I think of when I think of like you know expanding the podcast to tech and music generally. Those are the big topics in my brain. Like, what am I missing anything? Um. I mean, so there, there's a ton of technology around emerging tech, but but in terms of like, in terms of all the different kinds of tech that will like change what we understand about the music industry, I think that, yeah, they could fit in all those buckets. Um, it is fascinating just like how destructive, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not the first person to call this out, how destructive the meta name change has been to people's interest in the metaverse so i uh-huh. so this is this is an example of like i think so the, i think the metaverse now is a technology that for various reasons people are not talking that much about but i think will still play a critical role in just like our experience with the internet in the future but this already came up in like our season two research so so our season two sprint um, started in the spring and then ended, got published in the summer of 2022. Um, and already then we had, and as part of that process, we were interviewing a ton of like music s- startup founders who were building new like immersive experiences um, that were metaverse-esque or adjacent. But a lot of them, again, speaking of rhetoric, like actively avoided that word because they were like, oh, if we use the word metaverse, um, people are just like not gonna they're just not gonna be interested and, and in fact they may actively avoid our product because they're so confused about what it means um and there are like i'm not i'm not one to uh like push like rumors or speculations that much but i just heard that like yeah the brand value of meta is so is so negative that like they might actually like change your name again Little little birdie told me, we'll see. Let's let's revisit <laughs> this podcast in like a few months. But so but then so because of this, and and we've we've seen this in like um I mean I can say in like the water music community, it's it's there's definitely like interest. There's there's definitely interest in the metaverse for sure. And like that, that people know that it's important to follow what's happening with immersive media. But in terms of like what's driving immediate impact right now, people's attention is elsewhere. They're, mm-hmm. they're looking at like more Web3 blockchain tools that we can use now, looking at like AI tools we can use now. This also is another thing, like there are very few like metaverse related designer creation tools that are actually accessible to like non-trained, non-technical people. So just in, in general, there's like a branding gap, there's a tooling gap in like making these experiences easier for artists to use if they don't have direct relationships to like an Epic Games already or um, similar. So um that said yeah i think there are so meta aside we'll see what happens with them um there have been various news reports of uh like apple about to release their new vr headset for example so like they're still like like some of the world's biggest tech companies are like very invested in this area still so i think um apple and they've been making an ar push for some time and they're going to have their own vr headset um i feel like there are like various 
technological developments. I actually think AI will play a huge role in this. Like there are AI tools that makes 3D design a lot easier. You know, you can just like write a text prompt and then like it'll just generate like starting 3D assets for you. Mm -hmm. So even so, so it's all it's it's all connected. So I think like uh, advancements. It is crazy how they're all going to intertwine. You know, you have like an AI tool like that that creates a 3D asset for you that you put in the metaverse so you can watch it in your VR headsets and sell it as an NFT. Totally. (laughs) And then to to make like a yeah, and to uh, make a more like back end Web three connection. I think OpenAI actually released a paper, or some AI researchers released a paper saying that like one of the areas where AI could help the most, like scale otherwise pretty manual human effort, is in um, smart contract auditing, for example, which is which is like an area that's like so critical but just like so esoteric i think to the vast majority of people like yes yeah. how would i even go about doing that and so using um like specific ai tooling to help with that function i think would just go go a huge way in preventing um just like security vulnerabilities hacks or all that so uh yeah, we, we yeah so some uh some smart contract auditing at float to like start getting more stuff on chain and you know all these distribution mechanics for selling nfts and stuff and we uh, have a friend in DC who, who does smart contract auditing and asked her just like if she'd be interested in helping. And she came back with some questions that I was like, what are these? <laughs> she said, what components besides smart contract are being utilized? Often people come in for just smart contract audit, but really they need full audit inclusive of tokenomics, cryptography, user interfacing layers. How complete is the documentation and code? And have you done an audit process like this before? But I was like, that just <laughs> auditing the creation of the smart contract is so complicated. So yep. yeah, yep, that, yep, would yep. Be a, that would be a very cool development for sure. Yeah. So yes, in, in conclusion for like that question, uh, metaverse, a lot of people hate it or just are confused or it's not top of mind, but there, there will be other advancements that will make that topic a lot easier and interesting to engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, AI being like a key example. So I think that'll yeah. change the conversation. The tooling aspect there is something I hadn't thought about. Like, you know, it's just hard for people to build in the metaverse because it's so technical. So yeah, you know, as that yeah. improves, then, you know, adoption and use of VR and metaverse technology will improve. Mm-hmm. That's not fascinating to me. I honestly haven't messed around much, if at all, in like the sandbox or like, voxels or like whatever the big metaverses are but just thinking about it i think is really interesting and i think probably haven't messed around with it because i was never like a video game guy Mm -hmm. like i was just never a gamer and that you know the metaverse right now is just like walking around a game universe sort of and that stuff never really interests me but once it's like immersive it really excites me and like you know the potential for like a virtual concert i think is really interesting like if you can create a headset that like has good speakers and makes you feel like you're in the room for a show, like mm-hmm. that would that would be really cool. Um, and just like immersive art experiences. Like there's a museum I've been to in DC called Our Tech House that is like mm-hmm. it's a lot of projection mapping and like digital art on the walls and you know interactive stuff and like taking that to a new level with with. VR and the metaverse, I think, would be super interesting. Um, do you see that becoming like a bigger part of the music industry or like entertainment industry? 
I don't know. So my personal take is that, um, and and maybe this maybe this is uh, influenced by like the seeing see, seeing the hype that came up during the pandemic, and then subsequent downfall in hype when like concerts started to come back to like some regularity. Immersive experiences around music, yeah, I think there's like huge opportunity around it. Um, I have to date have been whelmed by virtual concerts. I think like usually if something is framed as like a virtual concert, it's like you, your brain immediately tries to like compare it to like the real thing, and like there's mm -hmm. always something that falls short. Again. To, to our whole conversation, like there there are things that could change. Like it, yeah, if they're if the graphics get better and if, if it becomes cheaper to make better, more immersive graphics, um, yeah, that could that could be uh really cool. I think I'm I think I'm less interested in virtual concerts and more in like persistent worlds, if that yeah. makes sense. So so like not like that a one off event. Of sense. I think like yeah. not a one off event, but like uh, it's most simple but like maybe interesting to some people, like if someone made, I think Disclosure made a whole like Minecraft world for people to explore. Yeah. That had like, and, and you can enter at, at any time and it wasn't like contingent on you being awake at a certain time or there at a certain yeah, time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I think as like, like always online experiences um, and like places to just like dive deeper into an artist's world or catalog, um, super excited by those. And, and yeah, and I think, like that, that'll lead to experiences that are go far beyond just like a one-off concert. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's it's been historically expensive to build those kinds kind those kinds of worlds. Of course, just like persistent, like yeah, ones that can house like hundreds of people simultaneously. Um, but uh, yeah, excited to see how those develop. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just sort of thinking about it as we're talking, like a virtual concert is never going to be. I mean, it, at some point, it probably will be pretty exciting, but like concerts are so fun because of the live aspect, because you're standing there with the people around you and you can feel the music. Mm -hmm. Like, and yeah, you really can't replicate that. Like, it, it's never going to be the same. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but immersive like art experiences and worlds, that definitely sounds like something that you know you couldn't you couldn't get live like you can do projection mapping and stuff but the capabilities of a fully immersive metaverse art audio visual experience are way beyond what you could do in person so yeah yeah that's super cool i i, I uh connected a producer i know recently with a another friend who does immersive art experiences and it was just cool hearing them talking and, and my friend who makes music has like a graphics guy who's like doing some like album visualizer work for him. But in the meeting, he was talking about how that doesn't feel like it's fully expressing his artistic vision. Like it's just like not enough of an experience to like what he has in his head. And then, you know, talking about doing an immersive metaverse type of experience, he's like, yeah, that's what I want to build out is like my whole world that people can like explore so yeah that'll be i mean yeah that's exciting like if an artist can really build out a world that you can explore that like dives into like their story and their music and how they want you to experience the art fully um damn can't wait <laughs>
yeah lots lots of new lots of new like creative paradigms to come that don't that that break the boundaries of like the formats we're normally familiar with like whether it's a concert or a song or, or anything else so yeah they're all very exciting stuff yeah definitely um what do we have to actually a quick time check are you good if we go over a little bit uh yes i am totally good until like yeah i have yeah i, I can my next thing's at two so all right cool yeah um what do we have to worry about in all this development like uh you know it just excites me the the new creative endeavors that will be possible and expanding creativity hopefully as it gets you know easier to make music for example and there are pros and cons to that for sure but like what are the what are you know what do we need to be careful of do you think based on my vantage point i think um throughout history every issue in music and tech usually can be broken down to um some kind of information asymmetry whether that's like developers uh being early on like not 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 just being early on tech which i think is like inevitable but like not being empathetic to like people who like might actually use those tools or like not kind of bridging the gap in terms of like for example people building ai music ai tools but like not talking with artists um mm. about like how it would actually be useful or like how this might impact their career and then kind of like tech innovation like accelerating hitting the ground running on this one path and the music industry kind of like chugging along here being like oh we got to catch up to like what like this the whole tech industry here is doing um i think uh yeah so just like general like information asymmetry information silos where um for like music and tech specifically like the music industry and the emerging tech industry like they don't um like speak each other's language kind of understand their respective viewpoints on kind of like what counts as success, um, what counts as like useful um, or impactful. Um, and yeah, I, I especially see, I see this with AI and there are lots of, that said there are lots of like movements led by artists to kind of close those gaps. So one example is um, a project called Spawning um, that's led by Holly Herndon and Matt Dryhurst who are two like artist slash developers and they're they're building um, a platform and a tool that will allow artists to um, opt out of their works being used in training data sets for like large scale AI models. S starting with visual art for now, just because those are some of the biggest ones, but they, but like they actually have gotten a ton of developers on board um, to like honor those requests. So even, even just like establishing that culture of um, dialogue and collaboration and consent uh between like the music and the tech worlds is something that like with history as a lesson a lot of artists are like trying proactively to like get ahead of with for like the next tech waves in in um ai in um in in web3 i think actually like the web3 ecosystem for music has done a decent job with this but the next challenge now is to like bridge the gap between like the what what web three native people might be looking for and like the the traditional industry and including like you know 
the artists that a lot of those developers might want to work with who have like bigger fan bases and careers but also very different needs so I kind of see that as the next challenge of like not like not immediately seeing those two worlds as like combative by default it's like what are ways that we can work together and learn from each other I think that always just leads to like better conversation and just like better outcomes um and I would say the last not the last but just like another the last for now like big concern that comes up in my head is um especially with AI is uh wealth concentration so if you think about what uh if you think about what you need to make like an ai model work really well at scale it's just like a lot of computing power you need access to a lot of data um yeah the need... amount of data that went into chat gpt and then all its upgrades is fucking insane it's crazy mm -hmm. they had thousands and thousands and thousands of people just like typing questions and then rating the answer and then giving a suggested answer. And it was just like literally like so much manual data that went into that model that- Yep, um, Stable Diffusion, I think is trained on um, 2 billion image text pairings. And I, I don't think those were manually done just for the model, but like just to give a sense of like scope of how much mm -hmm. data is included. Um, the companies that uh, have the resources to invest in generating or acquiring that data and also in like keeping those models running and like um, improving their quality are going to be the companies that are already like big tech corporations now. Right. I think we're seeing every everyone in this in this world has their eyes on open AI and um, like what they're doing with things like ChatGPT, as, as we mentioned earlier, uh, they're like, because they have so much access to data, I think they can more easily build products at like a higher quality or immediate level of impact than what like a, like a startup founder just like starting out could make. So yeah, and then they're just like concerns about wealth concentration on the tech side and then um, kind of uh, by proxy, maybe on the culture side, like it's, it's still very unclear if like, oh, if like major labels are sitting on most of the valuable catalog, for example, and there's some licensing deal that, sorry, that, that, that comes up to use their catalog and AI, does that just funnel, keep funneling more of the money back to them? Uh, are there, is, is it just like the streaming problem all over again, or are there more, slightly more equitable, like means of distributing funds across the industry. So um, yeah, that's that's definitely on my mind with AI, just like seeing um, what it takes to make these models work really well and who can even invest in that. And it's like a very, very small group of companies mm -hmm. right now. Uh, so I guess like having dialogue about all these issues is definitely one of the most important things that everyone can do to make sure, at least is like, information asymmetry like just talking about those issues i think is one good way to mm -hmm. solve it what mm -hmm. about um with like wealth distribution or or you know those issues you just touched on at the end there how do you think we like make sure that that stuff develops in a way that's the most beneficial for everyone and independent artists and everything yeah i i do not have an answer to that in part because um no, no, no. It's it's like an open research question. So uh -huh. like there are lots of interesting papers um, that have been done 
like trying to simulate like various outcomes like oh if if um yeah there's just so many so many layers um actually in like a weirdly similar way to like designing a DAO like a, a lot of a lot of different layers you have to account for so like one like what counts as a valuable contribution is it just like uh mm. contributing to the data set uh if you use the model on like your own data is that considered valuable to like how often are payouts made uh three like what yeah and then how is that distribution um determined and like how and like how are those payouts actually delivered to people and like how do you register people to be paid out from a model like it's 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 a huge huge infrastructural undertaking that um right now only lives in like simulations and research papers like there's there's one interesting paper mm -hmm. called um data dividends specifically that like maps out a lot of different possibilities of like how how things could work and and there's um there's actually like depending on like even if you change like a small parameter like it can lead to like vastly vastly different outcomes in terms of wealth distribution like some actually end up being a lot more inequitable than others even if like on the surface it like seems fine so so just yeah if it's it's a very complex like economic question but there are exciting papers and like helpful papers being done to just like try to map out the possibilities so i'm mm -hmm. just recommend following that so yeah data dividends is like the paper that's most top of mind for me as like a starting point cool yeah i'll have to check that out so yeah right now the answer to that is we have to do research to figure out the answer to that yes yes and 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 um just have that but just but just like recognizing that as like an important question and not just like running right. ahead with like mm -hmm. yeah i think it's already is like a helpful start yeah yeah do you use chat much in your day-to-day -day? i use it every day yeah i use it uh this morning I used it to, I to used how it to I use chat. Generate a bunch of questions for this interview. <laughs> wow, there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. It's, some of them it's, we it's sort everywhere. of got to naturally and I was already thinking about, but some of them were pretty good. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm sure. Um, did you use did you use GPT four? Or yeah, yeah I just Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean uh the quality of that model is like crazy. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely used it. So I've used it. So how I use ChatGPT day to day is like either for like brainstorming things that I just don't want to spend energy on, but that are important. For example, um, I'm actually not for, for being an editor. Maybe this is like admitting more than I should for an editor. I'm not very good at generating headlines. Like I'm, I'm good at like editing copy and like making yeah. sure that like it, everything reads well. But then when it comes to like having to generate a snappy, like 50 character thing, it's like yeah. not my strong suit. So definitely use GPT for that. Oh, it's so um, great for that. And and yeah. even though, even, and it's at, at least for popping out a draft in 10 seconds, it's amazing. Yes. And then you just yeah. can, <laughs> you know, pick and choose what words you want to choose. It, it's very. Um, yes. And in general, this is like a, this is a creator wide challenge of like the, the tyranny of the blank canvas. Like if you open a blank yeah. Google doc and just stare at it and try to write something like you, uh, it's it's often just like crippling but then like if you just like of spongebob where he writes the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i reference that on night. like a weekly basis it is, <laughs> it is such a good video um such a good clip uh yeah so like just like getting the podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh 
Um, and then the other way I use ChatGPT is like for information synthesis. So like, say if you have a, um, either just like a bullet point dump of just like scattered notes or a very long interview transcript. Yeah. You just need another gut check to like figure out what the main points are. Yeah. I love like, doing GPT it is for really interview good for transcripts. Yeah. I, someone told me about a tool and you referenced this in season three, uh, Fireflies that like integrates mm -hmm. the meeting transcript with the executive AI summary. So I'm excited to start messing around with that one because mm -hmm. previously I had done a lot of stuff where like I'll record a meeting and then input it into the script that gives me a transcript. And then I copy and paste that into ChatGPT in 20 minute increments because that's all it could handle. Mm -hmm. And like, it's a tedious process, but you know, it, it's a lot easier than, you know, it synthesizes the meeting really quickly and really well. Mm -hmm. um, but a tool like Firefly that integrates all of it, I think is exciting. Mm -hmm. so yeah i've used it for that a lot also uh what about artists and musicians and or just people in the music industry in general how, how do you see them using it and continuing to use it uh yeah i mean in general when when asking a question of like what is um how is x person or x stakeholder going to use ai um it's always um everything in life boils down to incentives same with AI. So like in, in work, it's like, what are people incentivized to automate? So with music, maybe, and, th and this is based on an initial survey that we ran for season three of a bunch of artists and producers on how they use AI, which I would love to run again. We got a 150 responses to that, but I'd love to like run it at a larger scale um, later in the future. Probably the, 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 mis the misconception is that um, music creators want to automate away music i think like like music creators are like in the music industry because they want to make music and and and, and maybe they'll they'll automate away they might be interested in automating away certain like steps just to start like if they just want to get a demo out and want stuff it to be like decently mastered there are tools like that allow for that um but but for the most part like they're not going to automate away their job like they they want to like still be very like scrappy in the production process because that's what they love. But the number one use case in our survey for like AI tools was uh, promotion and social media. So like I, I am hard pressed to find an artist who likes social media. Usually <laughs> it is right. like in, in, the, in the context of their career, it is a burden. It's like the framing is why do I have to spend time on doing this when I'm I can a spend more time? I'm not a content creator. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So like, uh, and I, I've, I've spoken with artists who have used tools like ChatGPT slash GPT-4 to like um, brainstorm, again, just like brainstorm things that they don't want to spend energy brainstorming, like yeah. brainstorming yeah, tweet, I saw a cool copy. Yeah, or... like, here are three like marketing plan outlines, three different like mm -hmm. approaches to marketing storytelling and just input what your company does into this section of the prompt and chat GPT will spit out a whole marketing and content plan. Mm -hmm. um, um, yep, spitting out a marketing plan. Um, I've met artists who use it to generate like PR outreach templates, which like if you're if you're a very scrappy team with limited resources, like it's, it's huge. It's yeah. huge to be able to have that as a starting point. So um yeah so so for artists uh i think it's just like for first thing like number one use case is not audio related it's like everything around the audio so right, like marketing like, let me promo. focus more time on the music yeah 
yeah. And then within audio. So that's um, interesting. Like, yeah. I want to dive into that for a second. I mean, I, I thinking about like the role of the artist within the industry, like before the internet, like the artist was really only focusing on the music and live performances, right? Like the marketing and PR, you know, they didn't really have to create the content and engage with their fans on social media and shit. And now I guess the role of the artist has changed where they are doing a lot of that stuff and they act as their own marketing team and social media manager and, you know, agent and all this stuff, like into for independent artists, they're doing a lot of jobs that are not just the music. So it seems like at least in terms of your research and, you know, what I've read from it and in talking to a lot of people is that hopefully this will allow artists to get back to the music and spend more time just creating because it can automate away all the other stuff. Yeah. Um, so on uh, that said, again, going back to incentives, if you think about people who are incentivized to automate music away, very often it is like people who treat music as like a secondary task. So, mm -hmm. so usually this ends up being like, people who just need music for like a quick brand video or ad video or people who need music for like a quick TikTok video or something. Yeah. Um, and so there are, so, so yes, like in, in the music industry context, I think there's a lot of interest of artists around like the marketing so they can focus on the music because they're incentivized to go back to that. That said, there's a whole group of people like content creators, uh, ad teams, marketing teams who want the music making process to be as as quick and cheap as possible because right. they have to get out a high volume of um content with music in it so there there's like an interesting existential question around like what that means for syncs like for yeah. like production music right and like library music which like at the major label level is actually a pretty big chunk of their business so there so there it's like more directly competitive because you have a group of people that like just want to automate that away mm -hmm. for for like the professional musician cohort it's like a very different story like they're, they're going to look for um different kinds of tools so yeah it's it's it is generally important to acknowledge that it's it's not just like a monolith like ai is gonna like uniformly impact all musicians in, in x way it very much depends on the incentive like am i a professional musician um who like is making music for a certain use case and just like wants to focus on that or am i like a tiktok creator that's just like putting out videos and um and i want to do that as quickly as possible yeah it's just a very 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 different balance. yeah and it's a balance it's like you know maybe that takes away some opportunities for musicians to get their music signed to sync deals which you know is potentially less money going into the artist's pocket but you know, also has the potential to automate all the way, automate away all this other time that they spend doing other shit. So they can spend more time on music and, you know, with Web3, they can monetize it differently, hopefully. So yeah, it's a balance. I guess we're really just going to see how it plays out. Um, I saw a really interesting quote in season three that I was reading yesterday that was taps on that issue a lot and how people think like it can automate away music. Um, and it was a point I hadn't heard before. And the quote was, uh, the more people who can tap, and this was related to like how AI can hopefully make music creation easier. 
Um, and I keep comparing it to electronic music production. Like before there was electronic music production, there were instruments. And if you wanted to create a song that had a bunch of instruments in it, in it, as a producer, you needed live instruments in the room. You needed live session musicians with you. And then electronic music production made it so you can just like play a bunch of keys on your computer and you have a whole band theoretically. And it just made that easier for anyone to download the program and start making music. And you, know, you need less musical background to learn how to play the guitar than you do to create music electronically. And so I think AI is sort of the next step and hopefully increases accessibility and creativity as all of the tools improve. And so the quote was, the more people who can tap into being creative, perhaps the fewer people we will have stuck in mindless consumption. And so I thought that was really interesting because I've talked with my friends a lot about how like, you know, the oversaturation issue with AI and how like, you know, it can take away opportunities from artists because it's just so much music is being created and so much shit is out there that it's harder to bleed through it. But that quote really had me thinking like, I thought about like how me as someone who loves DJing, like before I got into DJing, you know, I'd go to concerts, I'd have a good time, I'd, you know, whatever. But now as someone who DJs frequently, I appreciate the art of DJing more and like hearing how people blend sounds and samples and edit stuff live. And, you know, it's, I'm sure it's the same way for music producers, people who make music appreciate more when they listen to music, like how it's created or someone who plays the guitar appreciates the guitarist in a band more than someone who doesn't play guitar. So maybe that'll, it'll get to the point where, you know, if there's more people just messing around and creating their own music with these tools that hopefully make it easier and more accessible to everyone, that all of those people will also just appreciate through artists more. And hopefully that just helps the entire creative economy. Any thoughts on that? Uh, that yeah. Really, uh, I don't know. I, I, it was exciting to read that. No, yeah. I mean, to, to the extent that um, AI like uh, completely shrinks the time between like having an idea and expressing it in some way, like manifesting it in some way. Yeah, it's it, again, uh, to the general theme of like new creative paradigms that we can't predict. Like, I think we're already seeing in, in the text world, just like huge paradigm shift that happens when like people who wouldn't consider themselves writers are like able to generate essays, articles, tweets, um, just like at the click of a button, basically. Um, I think, uh, yeah, so it'll be uh, it'll be really really cool to like see everyone lean into just like that self expression. Like the playing field isn't even just like art anymore; it's just like self expression. Like how how do you express this idea that you have? Um, from uh, with my industry hat on, I think it's also while that's like uh, incredible to like make that creativity more accessible. Um, it's I just, I wonder what the industry, how the industry will handle like just the sheer influx of like songs that will come as a result. Like I'm sure like there probably is a future so, with some non-zero chance of it happening where like 90% of songs on streaming services are AI generated in some way or like automated. I think that's like, and and then so mm. how do you like, I, so if if we, operate today with the assumption that 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 is true that that will happen in like 10 years time 
so much has to change. Like like the the music industry is like way of like registering rights and like tracking ownership is like already so messy and it's just like it's not ready for that so that to be uh the industry party pooper but i'm thinking a lot about that like just the the, like the yeah the, the personal like uh thrill of being able to express myself is like amazing and like now i use it every day it's like changed my day to day as a writer slash editor I think on like an industry-wide level, just like whole industries are like not ready for the, like just the sheer influx of data and of IP to come. So we'll see, see if that shakes out. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of uh, like ideas and potential for like blockchain theoretically to disrupt like all of streaming and royalty distribution and like boring automation and payouts and all that kind of stuff. But it's such a major issue. It's like, you know, turning around this biggest cruise ship of all time. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It's all very exciting. Um, I think we're sort of wrapping up here. Is there anything else you want to touch on or anything you guys have going on at Water Music that you would like to shout out? Um, do you have a sense of when this episode will go out? Just a uh, general question. Yeah, yes. I would, I want to say probably four or five weeks from now four or five weeks from now okay yeah. so, so i think right, this will be uh you know what i'll make sure it comes out before the conference if it was going to be the week after i'll make it the week i'll make it the week before. Uh, so yeah it'll come you. out it'll come out a week or two before the conference cool cool so uh yeah i would say the biggest thing to share about water music is that we have our first uh summit coming up um it'll be on may 6th in brooklyn specifically in bushwick so if anyone listening is local to that area we'd love to see you there it'll be a very fun super interactive time um we're trying to rethink the music industry conference format and that there will be no panels death to panels death to panels <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly um only round tables we have um super exciting lineup of like very both like very experienced and very candid people in the industry who are going to speak to kind of opportunities and challenges in the industry with a focus on emerging tech of course we'll have a lot of web3 and ai related talks um we'll have a lot of fandom related talks to fandom and community building and um a third track we're calling industry bridges so like how do you bridge new technology with like music rights for example so very very wide range of um of uh, topics, it's, it'd probably be like the best live introduction to water music community as a whole. Um, and we would love to see you there. And then, yeah, aside from that, uh, as we kind of talked about briefly in this convo, we are starting to plan season three, um, a timing four. for that, or sorry, sorry, season four, 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 four. Uh, timing for that will uh, probably be like start of the summer. So keep an eye out for that. All right, sounds good. I'll be at the conference, I'll see you there. I'll be tuned in for season four. Um, I could talk to you all day, Sherry, but this was super, <laughs> super fun. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, all right, have a good one. Thank you again. This uh, really was so much fun. Like we touched on everything I want to talk about. You have so much insight. Like I'm really awesome. excited. Awesome, yes, you. cover a lot of ground. Glad I could stay a little bit for sure. longer too. Yeah, all right. Cool. Thanks again. All right, take care.
See ya. Wait, wait, wait. Don't go yet. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to check the links in the show notes to find and support Sherry and Water and Music and to find info and tickets for their upcoming Wavelength Summit on May 6th in Brooklyn. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening and follow me on social media at the links in the show notes as well. Also, please don't hesitate to reach out with feedback or comments or questions. I love hearing input from listeners that can help me improve the podcast. And be sure to tune in next week for a conversation with Karma Violetta, a Web3 power couple who create amazing music and run a super cool Web3 music community called Wave World. 